When I get through preaching, before we take the elements, we're going to come back and do that again, okay? Um, that's too good to just hear one time tonight. I don't know why anybody's not here tonight, but boy, Jesus could have come back about five seconds ago, and I'd have been real happy, because uh, that was, what a great song. What a great song. And really, that's our message, isn't it? Because if Jesus doesn't save, we don't have any hope. Without hope, we don't have any reason to live. Well, I want us to look at verse 3 of Psalm 1. As I started this series, I never intended on doing three messages on the first three verses in Psalms, but uh, that's what happens sometimes when you start digging in. Verse 2 talks about meditating on the word day and night. And then he gets to verse 3, and he says, He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And whatever he does, and his leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. How does that happen? It happens by meditating on the Word day and night. I have met uh, a lot of great people in my life, and I have been envious of the time and the uh, experiences that they have had in the Word of God. And uh, people that are great students of the Word and understand the Word. I remember meeting Angel Martinez who memorized the entire New Testament. Uh, David Platt, who's a pastor in uh, Birmingham, who's memorizing huge passages of scriptures, memorized the first eight chapters of the book of Romans. And you say, well, why does God bless a 28-year-old guy in a church in Birmingham? I can tell you why, because he spent time in the Word. And God is honoring his commitment to the scriptures. Uh, Somebody said a long time ago, when you find a worn-out Bible, you find a saint who's not. I remember one of the first Bibles I ever had, somebody wrote an old phrase, and it's been used so much, we've kind of written it off. But the phrase written in the front of that Bible was, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. And there's still a lot of truth to that. And what I've tried to do this year, I didn't set out this year to intentionally do this, but in the How to Study the Bible series and the Route 66 series and then in this series, God has just continually pressed in on me that we need to be better students of the Scripture. Amen. That we need to understand the Word of God as we've never understood it before. And that we don't need to have somebody telling us what it says. We need to know what it says. We need to take the Word of God and be very familiar with it so that we are able to use it. It is our offensive weapon. We have no other offensive weapon given to us. And so in the fruitful life, there is something that we are to delight in. That's the Word of God. And when we delight in it, we go deep with God. That's what he's painting for us in verse 3. You see, what I delight in will be revealed. Uh, this is true with trees, you know, pine trees. Don't we love pine trees in the south? Ah, the pollen, the joy, the yellow pollen. Go down and get your car washed, spend $10, hit Stewart Avenue, your car's yellow. <laughs> Shallow root system, easily uprooted. I've watched pine trees just fall over in storms, sometimes not big storms. 
But then you get a tree that's planted by a stream or you get an oak that has been planted there for years and years and those roots go deep. They go very deep and they're very long and they spread out and they cling and they grasp onto the soil and they find their nourishment from there. And so I want to talk about uh, this fruitful life out of verse 3 of the Psalms. First question that we need to ask tonight is, are you planted and positioned for fruitfulness? Let me just give you a couple of thoughts here as we start to move forward. Water for drinking in the Bible is most often a picture of the Holy Spirit. That's what John 7 tells us. Water for washing always refers to the Word of God. So water for drinking is a picture of the Spirit. Water for washing is a picture of the Word of God. And trees are often pictures of believers. What kind of tree we are, the kind of branches that we have. You remember Jesus saw the fig tree and it had leaves but no fruit and he cursed the fig tree and it died. In fact, this, this theme runs throughout the Gospels as I, as I look and see how many times Jesus talks about the root system and about the trees and about cutting them down. Let me just give you a little thought here. When the Christian dries up, he always dries up from the roots. When you and I are dry spiritually, it's because our roots are dry, not because our leaves are dry. We can still put a facade on and look like things are really going well in our lives. But when we're going through dry times and when we're going through times of just apathy or whatever it might be, you can always look and say, that's a root problem. Because the root is directly connected to what kind of fruit that we have. Let me give you these references. Uh, if you want to, turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. And Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 3 and Matthew 7. Because Jesus is talking about a fruitful life here. God comes and he expects and he evaluates. He's looking for something in particular, for fruit in our lives. Matthew 3 and verse 10. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now turn a couple of pages to Matthew 7 and verse 19. Matthew 7 and verse 19. Jesus is using the same illustration. You can go ahead and stay in the New Testament for a while if you want to. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You can note by there, we won't take time to look at it, but Luke chapter 13, where the owner of the vineyard comes to the vineyard keeper and he's looking for fruit. And he said, I've been looking for fruit for three years now and there's no fruit. Cut it down. And in Luke 13, the vineyard keeper, which is a picture of Jesus, says, give me another year. Let me work with it. Let me till around it. Let me prune it. Let me do all that I can to try to get this tree to produce fruit. And if it does not produce after a year, I'll cut it down myself. When God comes to look at our lives, he comes to examine our fruit, the evidences of our faith carried out in our daily living. 
And so when Christ is doing this, he says, if, if it's not good fruit coming out, if it's not bearing fruit, then just cut it down and throw it in the fire. It's not of any good to anybody. It's not fulfilling its purpose. You see, we know that roots determine if the branches are healthy. That roots begin to go and then fruit begins to go. But if the roots are healthy, if the root system of a tree is solid, you can cut it back and it will come back. When I was growing up, uh, a gentleman who owned a nursery gave me a fig tree. My mother made fig preserves. In fact, she made so many fig preserves that if you need a jar. <laughs> we're thinking about feeding most of the third world country fig preserves. I mean, she just made fig preserves all the time. I just, I can't even eat fig preserves anymore. I used to like them, but you know, when every meal is fig preserves, it just at some point you ask Jesus to deliver you. And, and so I, I did, but... Uh, this guy gave us a fig tree, and it was just a little bitty fig tree. And he said, you know, now, Michael, you take this fig tree, and you take care of it. And I'll never forget when I had to cut it back. And I cut it all the way to the ground, but I kept doing what I was supposed to do. I'd go ask him what I was supposed to do, and I, I would nurture it, and I'd put a little fertilizer around it. I would water it. And I remember cutting it all the way back to the ground one year, and it came back up. And for as long as I can remember, in that yard, that fig tree bore fruit, but it had to be cut back sometimes. Disease would get into the, into the leaves and into the limbs, and it had to be cut back, but it produced some phenomenal figs. Not that I like figs, but it did. Jesus is looking for fruit in our lives, and, and one of the principles is when you prune, you bear more fruit. Now, we look at pruning and say, man, that's painful. I don't want to go through that. But when you prune, you bear fruit and you cut down a diseased tree so that a healthy tree can live. Now, we, we've got a tree up, up in the mountains, and I don't know where this tree came from. It came from, it's an oriental kind of a tree, and it, and it grows by uh, the, the deck. And three years ago, we cut that tree down. I mean, we cut it down all the way to the ground. It's about this far above the ground. Three years ago, I said, that's that. I mean, it's ugly. It just, it, like every time a leaf falls off, three trees grow from it. I mean, it's just crazy. So we were, we were up there a couple of weeks ago, and, and I said, we need to get this tree cut down. I'm just, I'm sick of this tree. I like trees, but I'm sick of this one. I need to get rid of it. And when they cut that tree down, that tree had grown in three years over 50 feet. And it grew out of the side of what we had cut down. Now, I'm going to tell you something. There is a root system in that ground somewhere. And a guy that cut it down said, I hear you drive a copper nail in it. It won't come back. I said, go get all the copper nails <laughs> you need. He said, they're $5. I said, get 50 of them. I don't want this tree to come back anymore. I'm tired of paying to get this tree cut down. But what's happening? Out of the root, a new tree grew up. So the root is a key to what kind of fruit and what kind of life we're going to have. So let me give you a couple of thoughts here. The most important part of your life is the part that nobody sees. The most important part of your life is the part that nobody sees. 
Because in reality, as sad as it would be for some of us to say it, that's the part we least like, is the part that nobody sees. That's the part we struggle with. Secondly, one of our problems is we are more concerned about our reputation than we are our character. We are more concerned about our reputation than we are our character. Thirdly, if the truth were known, a lot of church members have rotting roots. Rotting roots. They are far from being rooted and grounded in love. Colossians 2.6 says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. You see, all of nature lives on hidden resources. You can't see air, but you can't live without it. All of nature lives on hidden resources. It is what's underneath. It's those water systems that are underneath the ground that we dig wells down into and bring up life-giving water that sustains life, sustains our farms, sustains our, our families. It is down underneath. You can't see it, but it's there. And all of life is built and lives on hidden resources. So if we don't go deep, we don't go up. So we have to learn how to go deep, to position ourselves to bear as much fruit as possible. Then secondly, are you focused on being before doing? Because character is cultivated. It's not so much our reputation, it's our character that we need to be working on. I was uh, speaking to the SCA football team uh, Friday afternoon. I'll speak to Deerfield football team this Friday. And, and I was speaking to the SCA football team Friday and talked about character. And Tony Dungy, who's the head coach of the Indianapolis uh, Colts, was the head coach. Uh, has in his book a story about uh, when they were about to draft a quarterback. They had a choice between Ryan Leaf and Peyton Manning. Both had strong arms. Both had statistically were about the same. But Dungy says that they have an evaluation box on their evaluation form, not just how fast do they won, run the 40, not what their sprint is, not how they're high they can jump, not how much they can bench press or leg press. They have a box on there that says, do not draft because of character. And he said, we made the decision to draft Peyton Manning instead of Ryan Leaf because of what they were off the field. Amen. How many times have we seen athletes and saw it this week with a young man that ruined his career, potential career, because he didn't have character. When poked at, when mocked, he took the low road and took a cheap shot, and he can't play football this year. And now, at least three NFL scouts say he is undraftable. He's gone from a second-round draft pick that could have made millions of dollars to an undraftable player just because he couldn't control his emotions. Doesn't matter that he rushed for 1,000 yards last year. Doesn't matter that he scored 17 touchdowns last year. He tried to go into the stands and beat up people that were yelling at him. You see, conflict and crisis reveals what kind of character we have. And if I'm not 
being the person that I'm supposed to be. When put in a pressure situation, I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to do. Because what comes out of me is what's on the inside. When I'm squeezed, that's what comes out of me. And so when you and I understand that it is that conduct without character will eventually compromise, then we need to focus on being because we cannot let just being active in church and and active in our religious community substitute for in-depth spirituality. Trying harder is not enough. We have to go deeper. We are in such a results-oriented culture that if we do enough, we think we're good enough. And God never looks at the doing first. He looks at the being. So turn to John chapter 15. Very familiar passage of Scripture. John chapter 15. You know these verses, but it does us well to read John 15, 1 through 8. And you may want to write by there Psalm chapter 1 and verse 3. Because as we've walked through from Psalm 1 to Matthew 3 to Matthew 7 to Colossians 2 and now to John, all of these are talking about being rooted in the kind of fruit that we have. John 15, 1, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, He is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. A couple of thoughts here. First of all, we are either preparing ourselves for either bearing fruit or being burned up. That's what he says. He says, if we're not bearing fruit, if we're not producing what we're supposed to be producing, we just need to be thrown aside and burned up. We're not having any effect on our culture, on our community. Our lives are not making the difference, are not providing that which they're supposed to provide. And so this idea of connection and communion between Christ and Christians runs throughout the scripture. Let me just give you three. 1 Corinthians 12, the body and its members. The body and its members. No member of the body acts independently. Uh, You can go up to Chancellorville and find the arm of Stonewall Jackson buried miles away from where his body is buried. Not one time did his arm ever say, wait a minute, I need... I want to go with him. Not one time did the arm say, hey, I can keep on going. 
got his arm amputated, it's taken off, and it's cast aside, the body and its members. The bride and the bridegroom, Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. And then John chapter 10, the sheep and the shepherd. Now, 11 times in the first 11 verses of John 15, you see this word abide. Sometimes it is translated continue or remain. This word is consistently used here. It is the key word. And so let's, let's just look at a couple of things here. First of all, when I'm abiding, I'm producing fruit. That's what he says in verse 2. When I'm abiding, I'm producing fruit. So the question I have to ask myself, if I'm seeking to be holy and to walk with God and in the fullness of who God is, am I bearing fruit in my life? Is there evidence of fruit in my life? Secondly, in verse 2, when God prunes me, I bear more fruit. I don't pout. I, I see the opportunity that God is taking things from me that I don't need so that I can focus on that which I need to be focused on. So when I'm pruned, I bear more fruit. But here's the big one, verses 7 and 11. As I abide, that is one of the keys to answered prayer and the life of joy. Now look at what he says. If you abide in me and my word, words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. God doesn't seem to be answering my prayers. Are you abiding? Are you abiding? Now, God's not going to always answer the prayers the way you want them to be answered, but, but I can tell you this, the closer I am to God, the more he is listening to what I'm saying. That's why we take the Lord's Supper. It's a time of evaluation. Am I abiding with Him? Am I walking with Him? Is there anything hindering my prayer life? Is there anything hindering my walk with God today? You see, this is a cultivated relationship. We don't walk in, buy a book in the source, and turn on a switch, and all of a sudden it happens. This is a cultivated relationship. Now, I want you to notice something in, in John 15. He says, I am the true vine. Literally, you could say, I'm the original vine, the first and the one-of-a-kind vine. There's no other vine like me. So if I'm going to abide in the vine, I need to make sure I'm abiding in the vine and not abiding in religion and not abiding in what people think and not abiding in other things, but I'm abiding in Him. And then look what he says. He gives four levels of fruit. No fruit, fruit, more fruit, much fruit. No fruit. Know any Christians like that? Fruit, a little bit. More fruit and much fruit. You see, you just need to be a fruity kind of a person. <laughs> In the good sense. <laughs> Are, are you a fruitful Christian? Is there fruit that abides and remains in your life? So let's look at what kind of fruit a holy life produces. And I'm not going to take time to read all these scriptures. I'm going to give them to you. But I want to give you four or five things that the scripture talks about when it talks about fruit. Because when we're, treated, uh, when we're planted by streams of living water, we yield fruit in our season and our leaf does not wither. The first kind of fruit, Romans 1, 13, the fruit of souls. 
the fruit of souls. I got a Twitter today, about 3 o'clock this afternoon, from a pastor of a church. They baptized 146 people today. Somebody's bearing the fruit of souls. And so when we see our baptismal waters stirred, are we helping to make the fruit of souls a reality? Are we concerned about the lost? Second, Romans 6.22, the fruit of holiness. The fruit of holiness. You see, holiness is to the soul what health is to the body. The fruit of holiness. There are evidences, there are flavors, there are witnesses of holiness in our lives when we are bearing the right kind of fruit. Romans 15.28, the fruit of giving. The fruit of giving. Now, what does a fruit tree do? It just gives. I, I, I always remember Ron Dunn talking about the fruit tree. He said, you know, you walk by a fruit tree, you never see a fruit tree going, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm doing the best I can. It's just hanging there. And what happens? In its season, fruit comes. It is the nature of a fruit tree to bear and to give. It is the nature of the Christian life to bear fruit and to give fruit that is a nourishment and encouragement to other people in their lives. And so there's the, the fruit of giving. Then Galatians 5.18, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. And one of the reasons that Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit is that the old nature knows no law and the new nature needs no law. You see, I don't need the law to tell me how to act because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, self-control, gentleness. When I'm acting and living out the fruit of the Spirit, I don't have to act out according to the law. I am yielding that in my life, which is evidence of Christ in me. And all those fruits being really one manifest, manifestations of one, and that is the fruit of love. So the Holy Spirit works in an atmosphere of love, Colossians 1.10. Fruitful in every good work. Fruitful in every good work. Now, I don't know who did this survey, but it was really interesting. One survey says that the average church, 15% would be faithful to the church if they never had a pastor. 15% wouldn't be faithful if the Apostle Paul was their pastor. And 70% can go either way. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is faithful and fruitful in every good work. Can I give you my humble and accurate opinion? One of the reasons why God blesses this church is because when you're working, you're not whining. People who don't work whine. People who work don't have time to whine. You know, whether it's stretching fence at a sports park or, you know, helping to get something done at the school or whether it's working on the movie set or getting ready for Candy Fest or Freedom Festival, whatever it is, 
honest to goodness, if you don't feel this way, don't tell me because you're going to ruin my illustration. <laughs> but honest to goodness, the happiest people I see when they go to those events are the people that have put the sweat equity into it. Because they know that they've done something that matters. And they look around and they see all these people coming and all these people responding. I tell you, the folks that volunteered and worked in Freedom Fest, they, they had to enjoy those 55 people coming to be saved as much or more than anybody else that was there that day. Because they realized they prepared the way for the gospel to be shared. You see, it's the fruit of every good work, faithful in every good work. Then Hebrews 13, 15, we are to continually... Uh, have a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips in praise and worship and in witnessing, proclaiming allegiance to his name. Fruit of our lips in praise and worship and in witnessing. Now I want to take that where the writer of Hebrews says we are continually praising and continually proclaiming allegiance to his name. And go back for just a moment to verse 3 of the Psalms. And its leaf does not wither. Continually praising, and its leaf does not wither. That says that the fruitful life is not here one day and gone the next, in for three months, out for three months, up and down, a roller coaster, count on them, can't count on them. It means that if I am walking with God in holiness, that you can take it to the bank, that unless something hinders me, I'm going to be where I'm supposed to be. Continually praising and worshiping and witnessing. Not people looking around saying, whatever happened to so-and-so? Oh, they hadn't been here in a long time. Continually doing that. And the problem is... One reason we lack the witness that we should have in the world is because the church is filled with withering saints. They're just kind of here today, gone tomorrow. You know, if something else comes up, if a better deal comes up, you know, then they may check out for a while. Price of gas goes down a little bit. Hey, it's a good time to take a vacation. Price of gas is down. In fact, if it stays down, we'll take more vacations. You know what the best thing that gas going to $4.50 a gallon did was church attendance. I don't know if you know this, but I watched it. As the price of gas went up, more people came to church on Sunday mornings. Now, was it because they all of a sudden got convicted that I need to be in God's house worshiping him? Or was it because it cost too much money to go to Panama City for the weekend with the price of gas up? What was the motive for that? Its leaf does not wither. Bearing fruit of praise and worship and witnessing. When people look at our lives, here's the question they're going to ask. <laughs> and whatever he does, does he prosper? And by prosper there, I don't mean how some people interpret that. That doesn't ring true with Scripture. What I believe that verse means is that whatever you do in the will of God will prosper. 
Whatever you do in the will of God will prosper. And so why are these the conditions for blessings? Because every blessing has to come from Jesus. So let me give you three things in closing. First of all, Jesus said, and these are all tied to Psalm 1. I love the way Scripture works together. It's kind of neat. <laughs> you almost think that it had one author <laughs> who was inspired over a period of several thousand years and multiple authors in various cultures and different languages. And you'd almost think that it was a book that was beyond man's ability to write. Maybe. Let's just look at it. Remember what Jesus said, okay? I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. All right, let's look at it. I'm the way. Blessed is the man that walks not. Verse 1, Psalm 1. So there's a way not to walk, and there's a way to walk. Jesus said, I'm the way. Walk in me. Walk in it. I am the truth. Verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. So I'm the way, verse 1, don't walk in the wrong way. I'm the truth, meditate on the word of God. And I'm the life, he shall be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Psalm 1, Psalm 2, Psalm 3. You would almost think that God knew what he was talking about, how to be holy in this world. Amen. And that he had a plan for me and a plan for you. That we could not just exist, we could have an abundant, fruitful life. As I was working on this message, and we're about to take the elements and I was working on this message I got to thinking about uh, three years ago when we went to Israel and I think we were riding down the road and Yuval was at the front and Terry and I were sitting up the front and we looked over at these trees and we're down in the headed toward the Dead Sea I mean it is dry it is hot and there's these huge just acre after acre and mile after mile of, of palm trees and every kind of fruit tree you can imagine everything else and and we look over at these trees and and you know terry said what is that and you've all said those are grapefruits she said they're the size of cantaloupes and you've all said oh in this land Everything is bigger. <laughs> How can God take a little strip of land when it's surrounded by people that can't even figure out how to dig a well and be the number one food-producing country for Europe on the smallest country on the continent? They produce more food per square mile than any country in that part of the world. And it's not just food, it's huge food. I mean, honest to goodness, the grapefruits are this big. I mean, they look like they're on steroids. <laughs> I mean, don't they? I mean, 
And, and uh, you, you ask my daughter Haley, she would live in Israel. If they had a Chick-fil-A, <laughs> she would move to Israel. That's all she's waiting for is a Chick-fil-A in Israel. And, uh, you know, we couldn't open on Saturday there. We'd have to open on, anyway. Uh, but she says, you know, the peaches, that they just taste more peachy than the peaches here. Why is that? Somehow God made a promise to a people years ago that he was going to give them a land and he was going to bless them like he blessed no other nation. And you can ride down the roads and see the irrigated fields and realize that God is fulfilling his promise even to a people that right now don't recognize his son. He is still fulfilling a promise that he would bless the land that he gave them. How much more does God want to bless his people, the church, with much fruit, more fruit, abundant, abounding fruit in our lives? If we'll just plant ourselves in the right place and draw nourishment from the right source, we'll find that our lives will produce that which people will be amazed at because they will know that on our own, we could have never done that. Let's pray together. Before we take the elements, Asking the praise team to sing that song, Jesus Saves, again. You know, Jesus didn't save us just to get us to heaven. He saved us to give us a life here on earth and a witness, a testimony here on earth. And that song may have been a new song for you. It may have been a song that some of you have become familiar with over the last few weeks or months. But What a great testimony of faith. Before we take these elements representing the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, what a great testimony about what Jesus does for us when he saves us. What happened in that empty tomb? My friend Johnny Hunt sent me a message this week on Friday. Just left the empty tomb. He's alive. I'll tell you, it doesn't get any better than that. Doesn't matter who wins a ball game, doesn't matter what happens in a lot of the events of life. What matters is that tomb is empty. And Jesus has overcome death and hell and the grave. And he did it for you. He didn't do it because. He had to. He did it because he loved you enough to want to do it. And so as they sing, I want us to worship the Lord. You may not be familiar with the song, but you can look at the words and you can let those words stimulate and stir your hearts. And then after we've sung that song, Mark, I'm just going to ask you to pray for us at the end of the song. And then we'll start to take the elements. And then once you're through the elements, if you slip out quietly, and we'll uh, see you on Wednesday night. As you do that, let me ask you to do one thing. There's a, a significant meeting that's going to happen this week on Tuesday. 
And I'm just going to ask you to pray for us on Tuesday in Atlanta. There's a big meeting, an important meeting for us about the future of a couple of things. So if you'll pray for us on Tuesday as we travel and go, there'll be four of us there at that. So just ask God to speak and to work during that. So, Lord, let us listen. Let us sing. Let our hearts be stirred by what we're about to hear and then by the elements we're about to take. In Jesus' name, amen.